Welcome to Done and Done. I'm Alicia, your hostess on this podcast journey, all things Dominic Dunn, where nothing is linear and everything is connected. Thanks for joining me today. We are back for another edition of the Palm Beach Chronicles, our journey into finding the real Palm Beach this month on Done and Done. In this episode, we're going to pull two threads of some of what we explored in last week's debut episode from the opening of Dominic Dunn's The Women of Palm Beach piece, again written for Vanity Fair in April of 1986. The two threads we're pulling today, those of Sue Whitmore, the Listerine heiress, and Molly Netcher, Bragno Bostwick Wilmot, who did have a tanker pretty much run into her living room. I mean, you know these are two threads we simply have to pull. Before we begin this chronicle into finding the real Palm Beach, I do have a spyglass here to give some tremendous thanks to a few of our friends. Caroline, my equestrian friend, I am sending all the love to you this week. Thank you for listening and making your history class notes so completely on brand. I adore the all of you. Nick, holy cats, thanks for your kind email. You're simply the best. Got a few more names in my spyglass here with a tremendous shout out to give to our newest Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash done and done. Wendy A and Kim S. Wowza. Thank you for joining the community over there for so grateful to you and to all of our Patreon community and you for coming to join us today in our continuing investigation. What a ride we're going to take. First up, Sue Whitmore. A little bit of an easy story there, and then on to Hello, Molly. These stories are simply just too good not to share. Let's investigate. with Sue Whitmore that we're going to begin our journey today. Sue was introduced in Dunn's opening, The Women of Palm Beach, this way. The lady with the long blonde hair who never misses a dance is Sue Whitmore, the Listerine heiress. She was practically born at the old Royal Ponciana Hotel. She single-handedly runs the International Red Cross Ball every year, which is the only one of the big charity parties the chic people go to. Big thanks to Sarah there for her vocal talent. And Sue Whitmore really does the thing the way it should be done. Very much a high society grand dame. Not much is written about her, at least publicly. Remember that the real Palm Beach tends not to get too many write-ups. What do they say in high society? Your name should appear in the paper three times, at birth, at marriage, and at death. That is mostly true about Sue Whitmore, save her charity and philanthropic work, which is truly her legacy. Let's unpack Sue's story in Palm Beach a bit. Susan H. Whitmore was a longtime Greenwich, Connecticut resident who also spent time in Palm Beach in her life. She was practically born at the Royal Poinciana, Let's give a quick introduction to that place. The Royal Poinciana was opened in 1894 by Henry Flagler. 
We're going to be hearing more about him. Henry is essentially the tycoon that will bring not only railroads, but tourism to the state of Florida. The Royal Poinciana is a six-story Georgian-style hotel, which operates in great splendor or scandal until its closing in 1934, with demolition happening the following year. Let me tell you, the Royal Poinciana was a Gilded Age big deal, with a capital B and a capital D in Palm Beach, with all of the high society set. As mentioned in the previous Precy, Susan was the great-granddaughter of Dr. Joseph Lawrence from St. Louis, who invented Listerine in the 1870s. That left a little inherited money for Sue. Sue will marry Harold Whitmore and the two of them. I sure hope they had a wonderful life again. Not really written about. Sue Whitmore will have her place in the Palm Beach real estate game, though. Let's put her home into view here. Sue and Harold lived in their magnificent home, which was designated a Palm Beach landmark. This home is called Twin Banyans. Located at 241 El Vedado Road, this home was completed in 1936 for Sue, and she will live here for many, many years. Sue will move to the west end of Worth Avenue before her death, but honestly, Sue Whitmore owned so many properties that the neighborhood for a time in the 1950s was called Sioux City. Twin Banyans, this home, was designed by the society architect John Volk in the neoclassical revival style. Twin Banyans is a two-story home flanked by one-story wings on each side. The home is only three blocks from the Everglades and six houses from the beach. You got less than a mile to Worth Avenue. It really isn't a great location. With almost half an acre of property, the home coming in right under 7,000 square feet, five bedrooms with five or seven bathrooms, depending on the write-up you see. There's an elevator, there's a swimming pool, lush tropical gardens, and a guest cabana, too. want you to remember that name, John Volk. He does design Twin Banyans. John Volk is going to be a very big deal in Palm Beach architecture after Addison Meisner. Addison builds a lot of Palm Beach. John Volk does as well. These are not the last times you will hear these names mentioned. Twin Banyans actually sold recently for $7.28 million to a family from Boston with ties to the area. Very, very philanthropic. Sue Whitmore was, as Dunn described, single-handedly running the International Red Cross Ball every year which is one of the only chic parties. That is true. See, Whitmore, of course, is best known for the 21 years she served as chairwoman for the Palm Beach International Red Cross Ball. And this is only one of the charitable and community endeavors that Sue was celebrated for. Sue Whitmore received twice the Palm Beach Chamber of Commerce's one and only award, which recognizes outstanding achievement in philanthropy, charity drives, and community service. Sue received a gold medal from the National Institute of Social Sciences in New York. She was also awarded the very distinguished Clara Barton Medal 
for her work with the American Red Cross. Sue Whitmore passes away June the 10th, 1993, at the age of 79, while cruising aboard her yacht to her summer home after suffering a stroke the week before. Sue Whitmore, good long life, filled with good deeds and a definite place in her high society world. But again, a little undercover. The real Palm Beach, remember, happens inside the gates. But what happens when those gates become very public and, say, perhaps a tanker unmoors and runs in to all your gates? Here comes Molly and her incredible tale. Like, you simply cannot make this up. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Molly Wilmot, let's remind ourselves a little bit about Molly, as when we are done with this story, I am pretty sure you're never going to forget her. She's Molly Netcher Bragno Bostwick Wilmot. She lives next to Rose Kennedy, and last year a tanker ran aground on her seawall and practically landed in the living room. Big thanks to Melissa for her little voice talent. You know Dominic Dunn is going to hear about this story. He's visiting Palm Beach just a year and a few months after this whole tanker thing happens. And Dominic Dunn, he's going to be into anything connected to the Kennedys. So what's the deal with this one? We wouldn't know too much about Molly Wilmot either except for this event. And wowza! It will captivate not only Palm Beach, but the world as well. Molly Netcher, born in Chicago, she will tell the Albany Times Union in 1998 that she was born at the Ritz Hotel in Paris, quote, feet first, six weeks early, and with all my eyelashes, unquote. Molly comes into the world a pretty big deal. She is the heiress to the Boston store fortune. Molly's named after her grandmother, known as the Merchant Princess of State Street. This is the business, the Boston store. Molly's parents will inherit this store. The Netchers have some cash. Molly will spend her youth in Europe. She speaks fluent French. She will come back to the States, though, to attend and graduate from the Foxcroft School in Middleburg, Virginia. The Foxcroft School is a big deal, private girls' high school, educating the daughters of fine families for generations. Families like the Rockefellers, the Carnegies, the Mellons, the Auchincloss's, and the Astors. 
The Foxcroft School does have many a famous graduate. Two of note, you may remember Flora Payne Whitney from previous episodes. There is one more Foxcroft graduate to come in a not-done-yet this month, Bunny Mellon. So many good stories, y'all. Everything connects. But we're here for Molly. We got a first marriage for Molly, which is the Bragno part. This first marriage is to Eddie. He's a wine merchant. They divorce. Next up, marriage number two is Albert Bostwick of the Polo Bostwicks. Molly and Albert marry in 1960, hence the needed new home in Palm Beach. Hang tight on that. The wedding in 1960 with Molly and Albert was performed by Judge Julius Hoffman, and the best man in attendance for Albert was that famous and infamous New York attorney, Roy Cohn. Albert and Molly will divorce as well. Molly will take the third of her last names, Wilmot, with a marriage to Paul Wilmot in 1970. Paul is a New York publicist. Backing up to the let's buy a house right next door to Rose Kennedy. This is in the early 1960s. Molly, with her new marriage, is going to invest in a little real estate. The home that Molly buys used to be owned by Princess Evangeline Zalstam Zaleski. The home was called Sand Reef then. It was built in 1941 for Princess Evangeline. And oh my, who is Princess Evangeline Zalstam Zaleski? Holy cat, y'all. We have a spiderweb through line to this famous lady via Gloria Vanderbilt, covered in previous Done and Done episodes. How does it all connect here? Gloria Vanderbilt has a few husbands. One of those is Leopold Stokowski, who also has a few previous wives. The first wife Leopold had, Olga, they married in 1911. They divorced in 1923 after... Multiple infidelities on Leopold's behalf. Three years later, Leopold will remarry to Evangeline. Evangeline Johnson, daughter of Robert Wood Johnson. Robert Wood Johnson is one of the three brothers who all together found the Johnson & Johnson Company. Pharmaceuticals, my friends. Buku money. Evangeline is kind of amazing. She serves as a lieutenant in New York City's Red Cross Ambulance Corps and is decorated by Woodrow Wilson for her service in World War I. Evangeline also learns how to fly in the early 1920s and will mm, cause a little bit of a scandal in Palm Beach. It seems she waged a one-woman war against the city government. In the early 1920s, the new bathing suits for women were of an abbreviated variety, and the city of Palm Beach outlawed this style. Evangeline, not happy about all this censorship, had a batch of protesting handbills printed up, and she got in her plane and distributed them flying over the Palm Beach City's beaches. I love her kind of a legend. Evangeline and Leopold Stokowski marry in January of 1926. Evangeline's 28. Leopold lies and says he's 38, but he's really 43. 
although the couple does share the same birthday, April 18th. Anyway, these two not-lovebirds roll on until their divorce in December of 1937, perhaps related to the affair that Leopold is having with Greta Garbo, maybe on the Isle of Capri. No worries for Evangeline, though. Perhaps, maybe she'd been fooling around with her own new husband-to-be, as two months after the divorce, it is into the arms of Prince Alexis Zalstem Zaleski, where Prince Alexis and now Princess Evangeline will build a little home in Palm Beach called Sand Reef in 1941. Jerry Oppenheimer, in his book Crazy Rich, Power Scandal and Tragedy Inside the Johnson & Johnson Dynasty, will describe Prince Alexis this way. Of dubious royal lineage, better known in certain circles as basically a charming gigolo. I did find this amazing write-up, though, from January of 1942, where Evangeline and Alexis will host a little party. A few guests I want to name drop here. Attending are Colonel and Madame Louis-Jacques Balsan. That's right, Consuelo Vanderbilt. Miss Elsa Maxwell attended, as did Captain Alastair McIntosh. Big doing, Sand Reef. It's a big deal. And Sand Reef is next to the Kennedy Palm Beach compound. Papa Joe Kennedy will buy the Kennedy Palm Beach compound in the early 1930s. That story's coming to, I promise. And here, Prince Alexis certainly may be a charming gigolo, but Alexis and Evangeline stay married. What the heart wants and all that. In 1965, the prince dies, leaving Evangeline a widow, but she will find love again one more time with Charles Merrill. Charles and Evangeline marry in 1975. Jerry Oppenheimer describes Charles Merrill as looking half her age and almost was. Princess Evangeline, good long life, passes away at the age of 93 in 1990. But let's connect it all back here. Leopold Stokowski, who connects into the Gloria Vanderbilt bit. Gloria Vanderbilt is Leopold's third wife. Leopold and Gloria marry in 1945. They last about a decade. They'll divorce in 1955. I go through all that. Just for the nothing is linear and everything really does connect with the real Palm Beach and, well, real high society. So here comes Molly Wilmot needing to buy a home in the early 1960s. She will buy Sand Reef from Princess Evangeline. And Molly sets about doing the home up in her own characteristic style. She has leopard print fabric on the walls of the grand drawing room and skins of lions and zebras on the gleaming white floors. Naturally, flowers are always displayed in the home, and the ones that are featured, only white ones. It's the only floral color that Molly likes. Now, here's a little bit of an incident that happens in 1985 involving Molly Wilmot and society decorator Mario Buada. Molly lends Mario an antique cabinet for the Winter Antiques Show. It is a big deal. And Molly Wilmot arrives at the Winter Antiques Show and all hell breaks loose. 
Molly is shocked, shocked, I say, to see, quote, nasty pots of geraniums on my beautiful commode, unquote. Out goes Molly Wilmot, out goes the antique commode behind her, and Mario Buada's left hanging like, Molly, Molly, there is Zalia's. Hmm, <laughs> no matter. Mario and Molly stay on the outs until eight years later when they come together for the Saratoga Design Showhouse in 1993. This all comes a little bit later in the saga of Molly Wilmot. Let's roll on back to 1960 because it is a terrible time to buy Sand Reef. As Sand Reef is next door to what will become known as the Kennedy Winter White House. Remember, Rose Kennedy is Molly Wilmot's neighbor, and that means the whole Kennedy family. The Secret Service descends upon everybody and becomes a real bother. But I guess that is one sacrifice you endure if you are the neighbor of the president. The Secret Service will not be Molly's biggest bother, though, in due time. So here's Molly, quietly, living out her very fancy grand dame high society life until we get to 1984, November. It's the start of the Palm Beach season. Molly is going to spend her night before Thanksgiving with the Pulitzers, having some drinks, having some food, so much to be thankful for, and Molly comes on home and goes to bed, expecting the next morning a photographer from Town & Country magazine who is going to come and take some pictures of her beautiful home. All is well, or is it? Because this is the night that is the last night of peace and quiet for Molly Wilmot for months to come. Because it is also the same night where the Mercedes One, an empty 197-foot tanker ship from Venezuela, is moored. The Mercedes One is anchored off the coast of Florida, but out of nowhere, there's a coastal storm that begins. And sure enough, this surprise coastal storm is going to start blowing 15-foot waves all about the place. And whoops, 6.30 in the morning, the Mercedes One unties from its mooring and pulls loose. Takes a little journey right into Molly Wilmot's seawall, breaking it into bits and smacking up right next to Molly's swimming pool and cabana with its crew of 10 and a cat too. You gotta love when a cat enters the story. There is a cat on the boat, which will be gifted to Molly Wilmot for all of her kindness The cat will acquire a name, (laughs) Molly Mercedes, and once gifted the cat, Molly will then immediately give the cat to the Pulitzer family, who will send Molly Mercedes to the beauty parlor for a little fluff and freshen, to be outfitted then in velvet collars and what I assume Lily Pulitzer prints and Molly Mercedes begins a life of luxury in Palm Beach, not necessarily on a 200-foot tanker. But hey, here we are, early in the morning, and the maid awakens Molly, and Molly, thinking the town and country guy is here, huh, that's not what happens. The maid lets Molly know that a barge 
has landed on the beach. Molly has some coffee before doing anything, cancels the town and country guy, and strolls out to the crumbled up seawall to sort things out a bit. And here's the crew of ten, and a cat, and no one speaks the same language but Molly Wilmot. She's a heck of a hostess. She will, though, for just a quick moment, worry about the rats that might be escaping from the tanker, but Molly, she's a class act. She has hosted balls and parties for years. She's hosted the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, Wallace and Edward, their grand friends. So is Marjorie Merriweather Post. Molly's had a lot of time doing charity work, and hostessing is a pretty big deal. She'll sponsor events for the New York City Ballet, the National Museum of Racing, as well as the National Museum of Dance. Molly never misses anything happening in Saratoga Springs, New York. She's a huge hostess there, as well as Palm Beach, too. Molly also hosts a yearly cocktail party for Sotheby's to raise funds for the equine research program at Cornell University. Molly's got this. No worries. It is finger sandwiches, caviar, and coffee for the crew of 10, and, well, martinis for all the press, the paparazzi, and the journalists that are now showing up to cover a tanker in Molly Wilmot's backyard. Rich Pollock, a former newspaper editor, said he won't forget the chilly night when a servant showed up with hot cocoa for the reporters keeping watch. Pollock said, she not only put up with us, she welcomed us. Molly was gracious, just a lady with a lot of class. And I think she enjoyed the attention. I think Molly did enjoy the attention. Here she is with her blonde hair, her oversized white sunglasses, and Pekingese dog. Dog's name is Fluffy. Molly, in her look, her style, her charisma, and this event, Molly becomes not only the talk of Palm Beach, but also the world. She has gained international celebrity status. The press is all over this. Some even come from as far away as Sweden. The tanker's crew is going to stick around for about 10 days before flying home to Venezuela. The cat, Molly Mercedes, is gifted. But there is still a little matter of the tanker in Molly's seawall. The ship's owner is skint. He does not have the money to remove the boat. And Molly Wilmot, and she's not wrong, doesn't really think it's her problem financially to move the boat. But somebody is going to need to do something. Helicopters fly overhead for months, as it will take 105 days, over three months, for this tanker to get removed. It causes some problems, though again, Molly will remain gracious. After waiting more than a month for Molly's Mercedes to be removed, that's what they're now calling the boat because it sticks around so long, and after a month, this is only a third of the time it's going to be there, Molly Wilmont was firmly convinced of one thing, saying there is a strong possibility that if the boat had washed up on the Kennedy property, it would be gone already. But hey, 105 days, boat in the backyard. It's a nightly party at Molly Wilmot's for three months. 
all of her friends come by every night for drinks and lively discussion on what should be done about Molly's Mercedes. Again, the nomenclature for this 197-foot tanker on her beach. And everybody's got ideas about how to handle the business of Molly's Mercedes. It will take 105 days before this nonsense is moved out of her backyard. The cost was the problem. Who will end up bearing responsibility for that? Eventually, it was the Florida Department of Natural Resources that will foot the bill $220,000 to take the tanker from Molly's property. Where then, Molly's Mercedes was stripped for anything that could be salvaged. And then, Molly's Mercedes is towed off a Fort Lauderdale beach and sunk deep into the sea to make an artificial reef. The sunken tanker does become quite a popular spot for divers through the years. There is even one very romantic couple who will use the site for their underwater wedding, going as far as sending an invitation to Molly Wilmot, who will decline to attend their aquatic celebrations. And for real, y'all, Molly Wilmot and all of this nonsense becomes an overnight sensation. She's world famous. Naturally, there's merchandise. There are freighter-shaped chocolates that are being sold in all the gift shops up and down Worth Avenue. Molly says there's one postcard of a photo of all this nonsense that sells more than 145,000 copies in Germany. There's even a local bar that <laughs> that hosts Molly Wilmot lookalike contests where customers wear their blonde wigs and large white oversized sunglasses. Molly Wilmot will judge these lookalike competitions. Again, the high society rules of your name in the paper three times, not Molly Wilmot. This tanker incident, Molly's Mercedes, is what Molly Wilmot will be remembered for. And Molly's okay with that. In a 1989 interview, Molly says, I'll be walking alone on some obscure street and someone will ask me, any more ships in your backyard? I'm afraid the Mercedes is with me for life. She's a good sport about it all. Oh, goodness, this story. So even the Disney company wants in on Molly's Mercedes. The Disney company tries to make a film for about a decade based on Molly Wilmot's Tanker in the Seawall story. The name of this proposed film, Palm Beached, <laughs> ladies, to potentially star Melanie Griffith or Bette Midler. Sadly, Palm Beached did not manifest into cinematic reality and will die in development, but Molly Wilmot, for her part, was not a fan of the idea of Bette Midler playing her. This is about the time that Bette Midler has just appeared in Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Molly Wilmot says in an interview to The Times, Disney wants to be flamboyant, to turn Palm Beach into a Beverly Hills, and I don't think that's fair. Molly Netcher Bragno Bostwick Wilmot will pass away September the 17th, 2002, at her apartment in Manhattan. I would give you her age at her time of death, but alas, Molly never really gave her age. 
Upon her death, reports range of Molly Wilmot's age anywhere from 73 years old to 78 years old, although the Albany Times Union will report from her closest friends. They think Molly's age is closer to her early 80s. Molly's third husband, Paul Wilmot, believes that Molly's age is closer to 73, but eh, who knows. Upon Molly Wilmot's death, she will donate lots and lots of money. Much of her estate was bequeathed to the Palm Beach Healthcare Pavilion, which will endow the Molly Wilmot Children's Center in West Palm Beach, as well as the Molly Wilmot Radiation Oncology Center in Saratoga Springs, New York. Oh, Molly Wilmot, you're never going to forget that story now, are you? It's incredible. Oh, this episode, Sue and Molly, good women, good works, good stories. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you. Thank you, thank you for tuning in to this first of a double drop day on Done and Done. We started with the ladies. Now we're going to move on to the gentlemen. I do hope you stay curious and keep on investigating into the next episode. Big love, friends. Play on. Thanks for listening to the Done and Done podcast, a Hemlock Creatives production. You can email us at doneanddone at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at doneanddonepodcast. For further information about our episodes or sources, you can find us online at www.doneanddone.com. See you next week, friends. 